Hi, everybody. This is Science Modeling Talks, the podcast that features top modeling instructors and thought leaders sharing ideas. And I'm your host, Mark Royce. Let me encourage you to visit sciencemodelingtalks.com, where you can access extra content related to these interviews, learn more about our guests, and while you're there, share your thoughts and comments about the show. Click the link that says, tell us what you think. We really want to hear from you. Okay, let's get started. Our interview for this episode features Teresa Marks. Teresa describes herself as a public school parent and a public school teacher. She's been teaching chemistry for 19 years in the Boston area. Although she's taught a variety of high school sciences, including physics, biology, biotechnology, engineering, organic, and biochemistry, her primary passion, though, is teaching chemistry. Teresa co-founded STEM Teachers Mass Bay in 2017 and has been accepted into the Perone Sizer Institute for Creative Leadership's 2020 and 2021 cohort. Oh yeah, she's also the president-elect of the AMTA Executive Board. You're going to want to hear this one. Here's my interview with Teresa. Hi, Teresa. Hi, Mark. How are you today? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Good. Surviving all this uh, pandemic and just weirdness in the world today. Yep, as best we can. Yes. So I'm excited to talk to you today about your journey with modeling and your aspirations for the future. Let me ask you, when did you get started and how were you first introduced to the idea of modeling instruction? I believe that I heard of it somewhere around maybe 2008, 2009. It was definitely... Uh, something that crossed my radar around that time when chemistry modeling was first being developed. But at that time, I w there wasn't any local PD. I think ultimately within a few years, there was PD offered in Maine. But my children were a little younger then, and it wasn't feasible for me to leave and go spend two weeks in Maine for that. Uh -huh. I was actually one of those people who signed up with an associate membership account and got access to all of the materials and found out very quickly that having access to the materials was not in any way sufficient. Uh, it was clear that I was going to need the actual training of attending a workshop. So that happened for the first time in Massachusetts in 2015, and that was the first, uh, first workshop that I attended. So why is uh, having the materials not enough? The, the teacher notes are, are helpful if you can, I guess, visualize what it's going to look like with students. Um, but I think without the actual training, without having gone through it yourself, it's very difficult to visualize what it means to build a conceptual model and how these materials that are offered are building toward a conceptual model that can then be used to both predict and explain what we see in labs, demonstrations, and things like that. I think it's easy to pick it up and look at it as a set of worksheets and not understand how to use them properly with students. Uh, and so that was where I was looking at these particular sets of materials and understanding that they might look like worksheets, but I, I couldn't just hand them out. Uh, they weren't gonna they weren't gonna be meaningful to students and they weren't gonna help uh, help me get them any further in their understanding because I didn't understand how to use them. And the training on how to use them was the key. That was the key. Yeah. That made all the difference. That's really cool. <laughs> I want to ask you a little deeper. What drew you to modeling? What, what was your journey to get there? 
I think sometime I, I started teaching in 2001. So I had been, went through the sort of typical teacher, uh, new teacher process of being kind of bad at most things, getting better, feeling more confident, um, and then kind of hitting my stride. But that was when I really started to notice, for example, the one thing that I always remember is giving a gas laws test. And there were kids that could race through anything that involved a calculation. And then they would get the multiple choice questions wrong that would ask what happened to a balloon if you put it in the freezer or something like that. And I was just mystified by the fact that they could use these seemingly complex formulas to solve these problems, but they couldn't, without numbers and a calculator, understand what might happen in any type of situation. And I didn't know what the disconnect was. I didn't understand why they could do this complex problem, but they couldn't figure out a what I thought was a simple conceptual question. There were, of course, kids in the opposite boat that could answer all of the, the conceptual questions, but struggled with the math. And I didn't put those two things together either. I just thought I had more uh, diverse learning needs in my class than I was really prepared to handle. And I think by the time I actually got to the modeling workshop, which I had been wanting to do, and uh, just never was able to make it up to Maine. Um, it, and by the time I got there, I was really as a teacher, ripe for the understanding that students were just using calculations algorithmically. They had no way of um, checking their answers to make sure that their answers made sense. They could either plug numbers into a formula or not. Uh, they couldn't necessarily um, describe the question in any way other than using numbers. So they were essentially taking their math class skills and deploying them in my classroom without ever having a, a true connection to the chemical systems. And it, I didn't realize that until I got to my modeling class. I wish I had realized it earlier, but on the other hand, better late than never, I guess. Always. <laughs> <laughs> How long had you been teaching before you discovered modeling? Uh, I, I had heard about it maybe seven or eight years in, um, but I think I was in my 14th year, if I'm doing the math right. I was in my 14th year teaching before I finally was able to take the workshop. So I had been struggling for a number of years to find better ways to get students to find students, find ways for students to bridge that gap between what they could or couldn't do with math and what they did or didn't understand conceptually. Tell me how the discovering modeling and using modeling fit with your personal goals as a science educator, especially chemistry educator. I think I was at a point, and to this ties back to the the note about math, is that I was to a point where teaching an honors class meant that we were accepting students into honors chemistry based on uh, whether or not they were also in honors math. And so everything uh, uh, and students that were in regular college prep chemistry were in that class because they were in regular college prep math for the most part. And there was a big barrier for students to get into an honors science class if they couldn't demonstrate the math skills. But also one of the best and brightest students I ever had was in a regular non-honors math class, and he shone in chemistry. He loved it. He could really, really kind of dig into the ideas, the projects, 
the the problems, the labs, everything about it. And I, it was maybe something about seeing uh, one of the most amazing students I've ever had was not a, was not an honors math student and realizing that, oh, this this shouldn't be a way that we're letting kids in to honors chemistry. And we shouldn't be dumbing down what students are learning in, in, in chemistry because we perceive that their math skills are good or bad. Hmm. So starting to understand, starting to, I guess, unravel my, my content area with math skills and understanding how to use a calculator and things like that. Those were all things that have really, really changed dramatically since I started using modeling. Wow. Yeah. I know that you and Ariel were very close. Mm -hmm. What motivated you and she to start the STEM Teachers Mass Bay organization? Where does that fit into your story? So I met Ariel in 2015 at the modeling workshop. And during the modeling workshop, we maybe talked a little bit at lunch a few times. I don't think we were ever lab partners or table partners during that workshop. But what happened following that workshop is that we had an email list of everyone who was there, and it pretty quickly became clear that she and I were the two that most wanted to kind of plow ahead and really use modeling as much as possible in our classes. Uh, I should mention that this is Ariel Serkin. Yes, Ariel Serkin. Who was a, a guest of mine once a while back. Yes. Awesome lady. Yes, yes, absolutely. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, so we uh, we actually uh, didn't connect too much until after the workshop. We spent a little bit of time later that summer at uh, an American Chemical Society conference that happened to be in Boston that year. Um, but what really happened is that both of us tried as much as we could to implement modeling fully in our classes that fall. And we relied on each other because there was only that one class of, I don't know, 14 or 16 people who took that workshop. And most of the other people weren't at a point where they were ready to, to totally dive in uh, or maybe didn't have the support from their schools to totally dive in. I was mm -hmm. given permission mm -hmm. to, to pilot and to do something very different from the other chemistry teachers. Um, and so we relied on each other uh, a lot in that first year and we started getting together on a regular basis and our colleagues were all interested in this thing that we had been doing and had been, had been talking about. And for whatever reason, the workshop host from 2015 was unable to get it together to offer in 2016. And so there was no place for our colleagues and friends who had heard about all of our adventures there was no place for them to go to get the training. So in 2017, we just, no one told us that two teachers were going to have any trouble hosting a workshop. So we just did it. <laughs> <laughs> we had many adventures um, trying to make it happen. And uh, from that, STEM Teachers Mass Bay was born. Wow. Tell, tell those who are listening who don't know what STEM Teachers Mass Bay is, do you guys call it STMB or do you? That's, that, that's how I type it out because uh, it's a lot of letters. Yeah, STEM Teachers Mass Bay is, uh, we are an affiliate organization of the uh, AMTA, of the American Modeling Teachers Association. So we currently do operate as like a subsidiary organization. We're in the process now of sort of spreading our wings and getting ready to become our own independent organization. That's all tax purpose type stuff, getting uh, IRS numbers and so forth. Mm -hmm. But we did start with support from the AMTA. They got us started with a, um, a small 
loan, a bank account, things like that. We paid the loan back. Um, and there are a number of, we call them colloquially STEM teachers XYZs. There are a number of these little local organizations around the country that operate with varying degrees of independence and uh, are in some way affiliated or associated with AMTA. So you discovered modeling in 2015 and then in 2016 you started still? Uh, we started in, in 2017. Okay, but that's still a very short amount of time for what I would say in some ways in the modeling community, rather newcomers, mm -hmm. and coming and doing this kind of deep dive, jumping in the deep end really early in your career. Mm -hmm. I mean, it speaks to your passion and your purpose and kind of probably your work mm -hmm. ethic. That too. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and now you are president elect for the AMTA and you take your seat at what when it's when? A, the the actual date is a little bit murky it's traditionally handed off at the conference um ah. so I guess if the conference just ended then maybe technically I'm president now I had been I had in my head July 1st but uh anyway sometime now-ish so you and Bill are probably in close yeah, communication right now. Yeah, we will be right more uh, after we both take a few days uh, off from the conference. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Okay, the conference. Tell us about, the for especially those of us who maybe weren't aware that it was happening and those of us who were mm -hmm. unable to attend. So go ahead and tell us about that and maybe a little bit about your journey through it. Yeah, absolutely. So the uh, I don't remember the year that AMTA had its first annual conference, and maybe they even called it something like a retreat at the time. Mm -hmm. But uh, sometime within the last 10 years, the, there was a, an attempt to get as many modelers together uh, in one physical location, and that eventually became what is now an annual conference by AMTA. It's all fairly new in that this year was only the fifth annual conference that we've had. Um, and we originally planned to, ha to have it at Arizona State University. And as president-elect this past year, I was on the conference committee. That's something that's called for in the, in the constitution of the organization that the president-elect is charged with, uh, with working to plan the conference. Hmm. So I was part of the conference committee. We had planned to have it at ASU. And then, of course, uh, the coronavirus COVID-19 pandemic shut everything down. And ultimately, we decided that rather than cancel our conference altogether, that we would move it to a virtual format. And so we had it the same weekend that it would have otherwise been held in person uh, at ASU, but we had it uh, online. And we had some of it was very similar to what would otherwise happen in a conference. Um, the conferences, I think, historically have had a keynote, uh, some time for discipline-specific meetings, some other sort of seminar-type um, sessions where folks could share things uh, according to their specific interest. Hmm. And so what we did this year was we had, uh, on both Saturday and Sunday, we had discipline-specific meetings. Uh, those were all concurrent, so folks who were signed up would have to choose to attend one. Then we had some seminar style offerings that normally would have been offered concurrently. You'd have to choose one and go into that room during that time period, but we just staggered them so that if you wanted to attend more than one, you could. And we had one uh, called Equity Matters. We had one on tech tools, one on untech tools, and also one that was related to the Step Up Physics program. Hmm. And 
uh, yeah, then we had uh, uh, Colleen McGowan interviewed David Hestinus for one of the sessions. Wow. We had a, a, an epi, uh, a public health professional um, from right here in Massachusetts uh, gave the keynote, mm. talked a little bit about the public health perspective on modeling. So as we know, if we've tuned in at all to the news models, modeling, that's all over the place now, but most people still don't necessarily know what those words mean. We do as modeling instructors, <laughs> but uh, it's it's one of those new words that is all over the place when we hear about the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So it was really, really interesting to hear about uh, hear about models and modeling from a public health perspective. Were, were you involved in the admin of the conference? Yes, I uh, was part of the conference committee. We, we all worked together to do the planning, to find facilitators, to make sure that we had Zoom links uh, and Google folders where folks could put shared files in, all those sorts of things. So there was a lot of uh, work leading up to it of just getting it all organized. Similar to what you would do if you were planning a conference uh, in person somewhere, you'd have to make sure there were enough rooms. Uh, you'd have to get get some catering, have to make sure that there's AV equipment, things like that. So it's just a different set of yeah. uh, organizational requirements when you're trying to do everything online. And when you've got people coming from all different um, parts of the country, we had to make sure that we weren't hosting anything that was at, you know, four in the morning <laughs> for, for some folks or right. 10 p.m. for others. So we, we had to sort of choose our times carefully to make sure that at least on the continental United States that folks were uh, being asked to sign in at relatively reasonable times. So can people access the sessions still as on-demand viewing for those who weren't able to attend? Yeah, I think it's going to take a few days to get the uh, the recordings maybe transferred over to something like Vimeo or YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, but the yeah, the intention is that all of our recordings will be will be available. That's great. Yeah, um, you were busy with admin, but were there were you able to attend some of the sessions and sit in and observe and absorb? <laughs> A little bit. I did, uh, especially on the first day uh, in the in the morning, I did a lot of popping in just to make sure that everything was running smoothly. And there were some sessions that I'd intended to go to, but wound up just dealing with emails and text messages and so forth. I did get to uh, co-facilitate the Equity Matters session, which mm. was fabulous. I, that was, uh, I learned a lot and it, yeah, it was amazing. Um, and I, I got to sit in on the keynotes as well, but that I definitely did not attend quite as many, many sessions uh, as I otherwise would have. Any key messaging or things that stood out to you as really important in that conference? I think there were two things. One is that we knew that what's on everyone's mind is that we just finished being thrown into this new world of remote learning. And for the most part, none of us has any idea what's going to happen when school mm. opens in the fall. We don't know if we're going to be quote unquote business as usual um, mm. and then get shut down again. We don't know if there's going to be some effort to do something hybrid. Uh, and so no one knows. And we want to go in with a more intentional approach and we, we want to have some time to think about what our classes will look like. How are we going to build culture? How are we going to, um, have a whiteboard meeting if you're not in person. <laughs> How do you get to know kids? How do you encourage the discourse that we're so typically um, relying on in a, in a modeling classroom? So that was a really big part of it is that there's just a hunger from teachers to have the support, have the network, and really just to have the time to figure out what, what could work uh, well. 
Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to try to get some some work groups together as a result of uh, what we heard in the conference, just to just to get teachers in rooms with uh, Zoom rooms at least uh, with, with people in their discipline to kind of work through that and figure out ways to make um, to make that possible. It's uh, you know we don't know how long this is going to go on, so in uh, next year, next school year fe- feels like a lot of question marks. So I think to the extent that AMTA as an organization can be positioned to support teachers, to provide them with the tools, the resources, and just the person-to-person support that that you need sometimes to get through that. I think that's a really big one. As it comes to that, you're stepping into this presidential role. Um, so what is your vision for science education and how do you see yourself being able to help promote that vision through AMTA? My vision has evolved quite a bit. And I think um, not just because of um, finding modeling instruction in 2015, but also two years ago when I changed jobs. And now I work in a school where there's a much larger emphasis and it, and it was there before it didn't just start a few weeks ago with, um, with the killing of George Floyd, Mm -hmm. but there's been uh, an effort in my district for several years to really work on uh, anti-racist teaching practices for, uh, to be more aware of racial inequities and to find ways to make our district more equitable. And so uh, for the last two years, um, as part of professional development within my school, I've been doing things like reading culturally responsive teaching in the brain. So that's really been um, front and center for my thinking. It's become front and center for a lot of people in the last few weeks in a way that it really had not before. And that was another theme that came up in the conference a lot is people, I think, are maybe now just more aware of the, the need for teachers to be well-versed in anti-racist practices Mm. and to be educated um, about uh, who they are, what their implicit biases might be, who their students are, what their students need, and what practices and pedagogies can be most effective. So my journey so far has been toward understanding more about the cognitive science that underlies not just modeling instruction, but also things like culturally responsive teaching. And if done properly, Modeling instruction can be a really powerful tool in a teacher's toolbox to provide uh, an equitable learning experience for students in a classroom. Mm -hmm. Because I knew modeling really counts on the teacher to create an environment of engagement. And, And that's a big part of it, I think, for equity is to make sure that as a teacher, you're using all your skills to help involve all your students in the dialogue. So exactly. That's wonderful. And creating a culture where it's not just about one student getting the answer and mm-hmm. getting a check mark or getting an A or a sticker or anything, but getting everyone in the room to a place where every where we all agree uh, on what this means and how it applies and what the drawbacks might be and really kind of being held accountable to each other Mm. for making sure that it's not just that I understand it, but that everyone else does too. And I think that that is um, sort of collectivist approach is the term that's used in culturally responsive teaching in the brain, Mm. Um, taking a more collectivist rather than an individualist approach to teaching, something that can be very powerful. Mm -hmm. So what are you learning about the 
possibilities of having to use the distance learning and the tools that are available? Any cool insights that you want to share about what you've learned through the conference or through your own experiences recently? My concern is that remote learning is potentially going to make any uh, opportunity gap worse um, for students who have uh, maybe not the best internet access, don't have a quiet space in their in their house where they can uh, where they can be dialing in, uh, or any number of other situations like that. Versus the students that have high speed internet at home that have their own device that have haven't had to borrow a device from the school, for example. So I'm definitely worried that uh, that remote learning is has probably uh, had the effect of widening um, the achievement gap for the moment. And so my hope is that when we start back in the fall that we're gonna have more, more supports for students that need the support, that we have better ways of making sure that we're meeting the needs of students with uh, IEPs, that they're getting one-on-one -on -one help if they need it, that they are getting the types of supports that they would be getting if they were in school. Okay, the challenges of schools and, and uh, dealing with this kind of environment where there may have to be social distancing for a bit longer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In, in your perfect world, what would it look like? Uh, if at all possible, I want to be able to see my students in person mm. to some extent. So I think that so, there are probably some hybrid approaches being considered. I don't know if it's an A day, B day kind of a thing or one week on, one week off. And, and I'm sure that anything that uh, that folks come up with will be much more complicated than we can anticipate. But I do feel that never seeing my students in person for 13 straight weeks is very different than, well, I'm going to see you today and then I won't see you again until Wednesday. Um, between now and then, here's some stuff you can work on, but I get to check in on you the next time I see you in person. Uh, or if it's a one week on, one week off, similar type of thing. We're going to load in the week on where, where you're in, in class with me. We'll do as much of the sort of processing ideas together, um, sharing on whiteboards, labs, whatever it is we need to do. We'll try and do as much of that stuff together and then maybe save some of the um, more deployment aspect uh, type things, the things that can be done more easily individually. Mm. Um, it, it feels like there are ways that it would be easier for me to to still know that my students are able to make sense of um, of the big ideas, be able to start to build conceptual models and use those conceptual models in ways that uh, I've done in the past in the normal times. <laughs> but uh, I I have a very hard time envisioning a fully remote school year working for many students, mm. uh, and, at least in a meaningful way. So I am uh, hopeful, although I'm worried uh, about the, the infection control aspect of it, I am hopeful that at the very minimum, there will be some type of hybrid system so that I'm able to be in the classroom with students at the same time to provide that, um, that in-person help. And, you know, there's there's some things you just can't get from Zoom. You know, mm -hmm. if you're one-on-one, -on -one, it's a little easier. But if you've got 24 or 30 little squares on your screen, you don't see the body language, you know, and you don't catch the 
you know, in the fair and breakout rooms, you can only listen to one at a time. You can't overhear three conversations at once the way you can if you're standing in the middle of the classroom listening around you. Yeah. So there are some things that I think are exceedingly difficult to replicate online. There are tools that I think that are going to make it more um, more effective to use that online time to be more interactive. Uh, and and I wasn't able to attend the tech tools session at the conference. That's one that I want to grab the recording mm -hmm. of when it's available and, and listen, because yeah. I know that a lot of really cool things were shared that encourage um, student to student collaboration and ways for uh, more instantaneous feedback. Where are people going to find that link, the links to, to the conference content? Uh, modelinginstruction.org. Okay. Uh, we'll make sure that once we have all of the, the recording links updated, we'll put it, we'll, uh, we'll post it on modelinginstruction.org and it, it'll probably be the top news item. I don't know if it'll get its own separate page or not. Yeah. If you send me those links, we'll put them on the website as well. And uh, any information that you want to share uh, from today's talk, uh, just send it to me and it'll be on the interview page for you, for your, this interview. Oh, awesome. So uh, one, one other thing I wanted to ask you about is the modeling workshops themselves. Mm -hmm. I know that today my wife is teaching one and yep. there are others around the country that are going through uh, distance learning, which is uh, kind of a new thing for the workshops too. Mm -hmm. But uh, do you want to tell us about what you know about those things that are going on? Absolutely. Um, and in fact, I took, uh, I took chemistry too with Brenda Royce and Larry Dukrich, and that was a virtual workshop, but that was during um, spring 2017, I think, and we just met once a week. And so what we could do is do the lab components or the hands-on components in our classrooms. Once a week for how many weeks? 15 weeks, ah. I believe. Yeah. So, uh, so I know that Larry and Brenda have some experience in the remote uh, or distance learning, I think is, mm -hmm. is what they call it, where some of that hands-on aspect can be done in your own classroom in between sessions. We don't have that luxury for the most part this summer. Um, many face-to-face -face workshops were canceled altogether. And the ones that weren't have been thrust into a virtual setting. And um, it varies from workshop to workshop. Uh, some workshops are relying on simulations, uh, things like pivot interactives, things of that nature. STEM Teachers Mass Bay, what we decided to do was to actually send a kit out to every participant. So I have in my basement right now, um, boxes and boxes of things that I'll be assembling. Uh, and so they'll get, for example, um, a small electronic balance and they'll get, um, hmm. a graduated cylinder and a handful of things to do. Not every single lab, but some of the labs where we, um, in meeting with the instructors felt that we could safely provide materials and that it would be of specific benefit for people to be able to do the data collection at home. Hmm. Uh, there are some things that we would love for people to be able to do hands-on, but it's not feasible either in terms of being able to ship certain chemicals or um, the expense of, of sending things out to people. We're not able to do that for all labs, but I think that will make a difference in terms of, yes, we're going to be virtual, but we're not going to be only doing e-learning. There will be times when you turn your, your camera off and you go do a lab at your kitchen table or on the patio or something like that, and then you come back and share your data. Hmm. So we are, uh, yeah, so we are sending out kits in an attempt to give some 
some amount of crossover. I feel like in the future, if, uh, if virtual workshops seem to be something that there's a demand for, that it could be done in a way that folks could uh, go to their classroom and do, oh, and do the lab. Sure. But for this particular year, because of the restrictions that most of us are in, we, we can't assume that anyone is able to go into their classroom um, for any reason at any time. Um, a lot of, a lot of places are just closed down all summer. What would you say to those who have not been to a workshop to encourage them to actually go to one? What, I mean, it changed my life in more ways than one. <laughs> um, it changed my life as a teacher. It's uh, really changed the traje trajectory of my professional career, I think, um, being here now as uh, the incoming president of AMTA and uh, having STEM teachers in Mass Bay. So it's, it's, uh, it's made a lot of changes for me that I don't expect everyone will um, we'll see. But what it did in my classroom is it gave me insight that I didn't have before into how my students learn, how to make sure that I know what they're thinking, um, how to push their thinking a little bit better. Uh, it really got me as a teacher away from the right answer trap um, and making everyone explain their answers, even if I happen to agree that it's a right answer to a problem don't just nod and smile and say, good job. Tell me why, um, defend, defend that. And, uh, and what I have discovered even through simple, not simple, but it's through things like that is that for many, many years, I was let, I was letting students guess and they got it right. And they didn't know why they got it right. They just knew that they did. And now that everyone has to defend their ideas and explain their ideas I have a much better grasp on, did you just guess or do you understand why you think that's what's going on here? Mm. There's a lot more thinking that goes on in my class. I am privy to a lot more of what my students think they understand, uh, think they don't understand than I used to because it used to just be right answer, wrong answer. And wrong answer meant you, there was something you didn't understand um, and right answer meant you've got this. And now uh, there's a much more of a focus on what do you know? Why do you think you know it? Prove it to me. Tell it to somebody else. What if I change these circumstances? So it's, it's made me a better teacher in a lot of small ways. Hmm. Uh, and it's made a big difference in terms of the overarching way that my classes operate. Um, students are use our class time for thinking hard, <laughs> sometimes harder than they want and um, sometimes harder than I want. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> and sometimes um, it's a little bit of silly fun with, with a whiteboard meeting um, because it turns out that everybody understood it a lot faster than, than we expected. And sometimes it starts out like silly fun. And then we spend the entire class period at, in a whiteboard meeting because it turns out that we did not understand anything we thought we understood. So it's given me a much better window into what's going on inside my students' heads. That's great. You know, I've never heard anybody say that going to the workshop was a waste of time. No, <laughs> I haven't either. I have heard uh, a lot of people who are hesitant to um, to sign up because of the length of time of the workshops. Mm -hmm. And I understand uh, that that can be difficult, you know, financially, if you've got to, for example, uh, find childcare, or if you have um, a work situation where you're not necessarily going to get reimbursed for the cost of it. Yeah. Uh, I, I understand that that's a difficult step to make. Uh, and that 
that's one of the reasons why it took me until 2015 to get there. There was just not, it wasn't going to work for me to go out of state for two weeks to take a workshop. I had to wait till the workshops got to my state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I've definitely heard from people who loved what they saw in the workshop, loved what they learned, but faced resistance from their schools in trying to implement it. Um, and so I think those are two things that, that we need to be mindful of. Mm-hmm. perhaps offering more formats than just an in-person workshop over the summer will open the doors for more folks to be able to take workshops down the line. Uh, once we're out of the pandemic, who knows if a virtual style workshop will open it up more, make it less expensive, make it more accessible for people. I don't know. Mm. Um, hopefully. Yeah, I hope so. Hopefully. I hope so. So Teresa, talk to our listeners. And tell us who you are as the incoming president and what your hopes and dreams are and and what we can expect. Um, My vision for the next year, I I have some ideas, but I also recognize that where we are in the pandemic means that things could change at a moment's notice. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to make sure that what my idea for what will happen in the next year is adaptable. I think there are two things that have uh, really leapt out at me, um, particularly over the last uh, few weeks and months. One is that uh, I, like many other modelers who have been involved with AMTA for a long time, we know how important AMTA is. We know the worth of the organization. We know the value of AMTA, of modeling instruction, um, and it's important to us. We also need to make sure that the worth of the organization is something that others can access Mm. and that we are able to evolve and adapt to changing needs. So if that means that we need to move more toward offering things like remote learning supports, uh, if it means that we need to be able to um, start book clubs for teachers who can start reading more about anti-racism, about culturally responsive teaching, and about other uh, other topics that are of interest to them. We need to be able to provide that outside of the context of our traditional work that we've done in, in offering summer workshop training. Over the last few years, the organization has started to offer things like webinars and modules more frequently. And I think that those are fantastic ways to reach out to people, whether or not they're members, whether or not they've ever been to a workshop, Mm. and to make sure that we are providing support and resources to teachers across the country. So part of my vision is to make sure that what we are doing isn't focused just on Um, our strengths, which are our workshops, our leaders, our teachers, but also focused on sharing what we can with teachers who need the support. Um, So I'm hoping over the next year in particular to really, really ramp up what we do in terms of making sure that um, our workshop leaders have training around equity and anti-racism that we are offering specific uh, programming, whether it's uh, book clubs, modules, webinars, et cetera, to help teachers uh, get themselves where they need to be, to feel that they're ready to, um, to address issues in their classroom, to, um, to have an equitable classroom, to 
um, advocate for policies in their schools that are uh, that are equitable. So that's, I think, going to be my where where my focus is over the next year. And we will see what happens in the fall. Things might, I, I don't know, it feels like the world changes a little bit every week. And some weeks it changes a lot. But uh, so in, in a certain respect, it's weird to try to have a year plan or a five-year plan or a, a two-week plan. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, but I do think that these conversations have been important for a while. Uh, we've just, for whatever reason, we're at a historical moment where a lot of people seem to be recognizing it um, at the same time. And so we want to make sure that we're positioned to have AMTA as an organization be on the right track in terms of our own practices and our own um, self-education, and then also with what we can provide teachers, members and non-members. Are you open to sharing like an email or something if people want to get a hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. We'll put it on your episode page at uh, sciencemodelingtalks.com. Okay, great. Well, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. It's It's been a real pleasure to speak with you, and I'm excited about what you're going to bring to the AMTA organization, and, and uh, it'll be really fun to see how, what things unfold in the next year, too. It will be interesting, if nothing else. Thank you, Mark. So thanks again, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us on another episode of Science Modeling Talks. Head over to sciencemodelingtalks.com and you'll be able to listen to any of our archived episodes and access our show notes, which include guest bios, show highlights, and links to resources that were mentioned during the interview. While you're there, subscribe to our show so you won't miss out on any of our episodes. When you join this community through our email list, we'll send you a link to a lot of awesome resources from the American Modeling Teachers Association. Okay, so that's our show. As always, remember to keep striving for excellence in your classroom.